Read. Junk. Read. Junk. Read. Junk. Podcast. Read Junk Podcast. With your host, my guy. Hey, what's going on? This is the Read Junk Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Krimko. How's everyone's summer going? Mine's going well. I got my wedding anniversary coming up. I got my birthday coming up. We got Radix Fest happening at Gramercy Theater on my birthday on July 19th. So please come out to that if you can. Um, I'm sure I'll be celebrating my birthday all weekend with my family and stuff. So that should be fun. I'll be definitely hanging out and partying on July 19th. So come on out to that show if you can, if you're in the area. Uh, for this episode, I talk with frontman and trombone player Chris Malone of The Pandemics, who is about to embark on a new tour with his ska band. They're going to be hitting up uh, Brooklyn, PA, some Midwest cities like uh, Chicago and places in Minnesota and Michigan. And then they'll be playing some more shows down in the New York area as well. Um, I think in August, they're playing with the Scapones from the UK and the Boston's at Webster Hall. Uh, we, so we talk about their tour Chris visiting Tokyo, Chris playing in Spider Nick, Rudy Crew, Bigger Thomas, as well as his current band, The Pandemics. At the end, I play a game of Goldblum trivia with him, since he's always sending me Jeff Goldblum news to me on Facebook, so I thought I would get a little bit of payback with him and ask him some questions. So have a listen, spread the word, share the podcast with friends on social media. You can listen to the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, YouTube, just wherever you get podcasts, pretty much. Be sure to follow Rejunk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all like at Rejunk. So let's get into it. Here's my chat with Chris Malone of The Pandemics. Uh, so I'm with Chris Malone who, uh, of The Pandemics and of a lot of other ska bands you've been in. Uh, so you're going on tour. So let's talk about your tour first. Uh, sure. Uh, my band, The Pandemics, we're heading out on tour. Um, we're doing uh, from July 18th to July 25th. It was the 26th, but we lost the date at the end. And to be honest, I think we're all kind of happy about that. Not that we lost the date, but just that we'll be able to take our time getting home and we're not rushing every night. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what happened? Just lack of interest or something? or Honestly, it was just, um, you know, everyone gets busy in the summertime. And uh, it's just one of those things. We reached out to a bunch of people and a few of the people we thought would come through for us just... Uh, Unfortunately, got a little overwhelmed, I guess, because there's other tours going on and there are festivals that are going on. And it's just it's, it's par for the course. You know, these things happen. And yeah. uh, I mean, it was, I think it was in New Jersey, so it's not like we're never going back to New Jersey again. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but all the important ones seem to have stuck. I mean, believe it or not, we're still dealing with uh, confirming little details um, of dates, even though we're leaving like next Thursday. We're still like I just confirmed the venue for Chicago last night <laughs> just, just a little bit last minute yeah i mean uh just one of those things you know you think you have everything set and then something goes off the rails and uh you have to scramble to put it back together believe me being behind the scenes for the the show that i'm doing has just been a big headache and you can i don't know how someone can put a whole tour together honestly it's it's just for one oh, show it's like oh my god i just want to go back to being a spectator <laughs> Oh, I know, I know the feeling. It's like, it takes on a whole nother dimension when you set up your own show. Like I've been booking shows since 2001 and just like locally around New York and Long Island. And, um, it takes on a whole nother dimension of responsibility. And there's all these little details that you don't even think about when you're just going to a show. Like you have to think about, um, the sound system in the club. You have to think about the equipment that the bands need to borrow or use. Yeah. You've got to think about, um, Staff concerns, you know, who's working the door, who, if you need a security guard, that kind of thing. Backlines, set times. Oh, this mm -hmm. band's not promoting it enough. Oh, that's such and such. <laughs> uh, it takes on a whole other dimension. Yeah. That you have to think about as a fan or even as a musician sometimes. Like, I mean, if you're, if you're a musician, you're playing a show, your job is to, you know, practice, play music, promote and show up and then you get to come and go. But the person running the show is, you know, literally on the clock all night. Yeah. It's not like going out and having drinks, having fun. You're literally like watching, looking at your watch and, you know, trying to keep things going. You're queuing up songs between, for between bands or um, helping move DJ equipment. That's another, you know, thing that happens. And 
Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just my idea. I'm not going to do any of that crap, but let someone else do it. <laughs> I hear you. I came up with this. So you're playing July 18th in Brooklyn. Um, so mm-hmm. who are you playing when, for the, with that show? All right. So that's our tour kickoff show. It's at yeah. 60 Congress in Greenpoint, which is a new venue. I think it was something else, you know, as so many things in New York tend to be, you know, just a couple months ago. Um, but we're playing with our good friends, Cop Out, who are like a you know punk band. Uh, they're made up of a bunch of the people that help run Punk Island. Um, uh, we're playing with uh, Pre-K Dropout, who are like more of a pop punk band, who uh, they recruited a couple of our horn players for a single they released uh, last year. So we've stayed in touch with those guys. We played with them in Punk Island last year, actually, too, on the same stage. Did you play and this year or no? No. Um, there was some shenanigans. Uh, they, they're a festival that gets a lot of attention. So there's they got They do their best to try and mix it up every year. So okay, we respect gotcha. that. And hopefully we'll be inv- invited back soon. But uh just gets better and better every year. So, I mean, we always love playing Punk Island. Okay. And um, the last band on that bill is Barbicide. It was a brand new project. This is their first show. Um, Brendog, right? Yep. Brendog and Jerrica and Nicole and I'm trying to Arena. I think it's a bass player. Um, it's their first show. Ex-members of Memphis Scofflees and the Scofflaws. And Brendan's been sending me tracks as they've been going along and they sound awesome. I can't wait to see those guys. I I think I played one of their songs last year that Brendog sent me. It was like the the cover of, uh, was it Eve of Destruction? That song. Oh, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think they did that cover. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, yep. And then who are, you, who are you playing out in, out in the, so you're going out to the Midwest, going to Pennsylvania. Yep. I mean, the total architecture of the tour is basically one big loop out to Minneapolis and back. Um, and originally what I had planned to do, you know, I've done a little bit of touring with, uh, with pilfers and what they typically do is they take like, they'll leave on like a Wednesday, but they'll drive all of Wednesday to get out and start like a weekend, do Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and be home on Sunday. If they're doing something like semi-regional and it's not like a full tour. Um, so I wanted to do that idea, but it's worked out that I found gigs every single day to and from. So it worked That's out great. Convenient. Yeah. Um, yep. Is this like your first tour for the pandemics that like out there? like an extensive tour for like a week straight or whatever it is? No, actually, um, we've done two before this. I mean, okay. it's the last couple of years, we've sort of been, uh, we've been dealing with membership changes. Just, you know, we had different, we changed over an entire rhythm section last year. Um, so last year is very much a rebuilding year. And oddly enough, one of our most you know rewarding show years we've had. Um, like just, I'm trying to think of all the stuff, man. We did the Slackers holiday show last year. Um, we did, uh, shows with Fishbone, Toots and the Maytals. Oh, at the Chance. That's right. Okay. How yep. was, how was that show at the Chance? You know, we love playing at the Chance. It's a really cool older room, that main stage room. Like there's not many, you know, big amphitheater kind of stages left in New York. So that was really cool. Yeah. We haven't played there in a couple of years. I always love playing there, but they don't really do many ska shows anymore. No. And it's all the turnout sucks. A lot. Yeah. No, I mean, not Speak ill of any of our friends up Poughkeepsie, but yeah, you yeah. guys need to get those. Get your <laughs> shit together. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it's just uh, the crew we had before then, you know, don't disrespect anybody in the band, but a lot of, we had a lot of, you know, people that were teachers. So they don't really like traveling outside of the, you know, summer break. And the thing is you had a bunch of people that would you know be working all year. And the last thing they want to do is, you know, detract from vacation time and all the personal stuff that they basically can't do throughout the year. Um, so we've had a brand new crew of people and, you know, we still have, you know, two teachers in the band. So we're still, you know, we respect everybody's uh, personal commitments, but it's nice to be out on the road again. So the last two tours we did probably about five years ago and three years ago or six years ago and four years ago, I can't remember the exact dates. Um, but we did one tour out to the Midwest in, I want to say, shit, maybe seven years ago, 2011 or 2012. And uh, yeah, it's 2012 because that's when Brandon Brandon Tap came out. Um, And then two years later, we did one sort of more down south. Like we went out to like uh, Tennessee and worked our way back up the East Coast that way. So it's nice to be going back to the Midwest. Um, You know, we want to eventually do like things like the West Coast and uh, go overseas. Like I'm trying to lay the groundworks right now for Japan in the next year or so. Yeah, I was gonna ask. I was gonna ask about that later that you that you visited Tokyo, but 
were you just over there for a, like a, a vacation and kind of went and saw some shows over there? Well, uh, I keep on going off on tangents. Um, I, sorry, <laughs> I, I have a list here, but I'm like, I might as well cover it. <laughs> it it's all right. We can, we can let it just flow naturally. And then, yeah. you know, questions sort of rein it back in. Um, so the first time, this was actually my second time in Japan. I went on tour with this band um, that I was a founding member of, uh, Caricatura, which is like more of a, they were more of a Latin gypsy, reggae, funk, soul. They played a lot of different stuff and they basically created this label for themselves of World Indie. Okay. And um, they decided very early on that their main thing was going to be touring. Like they were going to go tour Europe. They were going to tour South America, Asia. And, you know, for 10 years or nine years or so, they did that, you know, for two months out of the year, every year, um, just going on these month long tours and in the States, outside of the States. Um, but the first tour, like within a year of, you know, playing shows, they were, they decided they wanted to go to Japan. So that was sort of my last hurrah with those guys. And it was, you know, one of the most artistically fulfilling groups I've ever been a part of, but they were, you know, just on it all the time. And you know, I got a job yeah. <laughs> and a life. life. And, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I, I wish them well and they really kind of carried the torch. They just hung it up last year, actually, after, uh, you know, a decade. So, I mean, mission accomplished, I guess. Did a great job, great music. Anyways, uh, Japan, I just, when we was there the first time, I kind of fell in love with, uh, you know, the city of Tokyo and the cities we played. We played in uh, Hiroshima and Kyoto and then, you know, a bunch of dates around Tokyo. And just my wife, it was a really relaxed tour. Everyone's wives and girlfriends came with them. And we always said we wanted to go back. And, you know, my wife just finished up uh, getting her degree as a uh, paramedic. Mm. So, you know, she's had a lot of free time to kill. And she was just like, you know, plane tickets right now on uh, Skyscanner are only $700 a piece. We should, you know, jump on that before I get a job. So that was like reason enough to go. And it just sort of worked out that uh, we traveled. Cheap, during the- yeah. Yeah. I mean, normally they're like double that. So, I mean, yeah. we just said it's now or never. And, uh, or not now or never, but you know, this is a good time to go. And I think the reason they were so cheap is we went during this period called golden week, which is, you know, a national holiday or a string of national holidays in Japan where basically the entire country goes on vacation. Um, but but a lot of people traveling abroad or a lot of people traveling basically anywhere that has, you know, things that families can do, like families with kids, they're going to be, uh, there. So like amusement parks, like Disney was swamped. We didn't go to Disney, but you know, just Forest attractions in general was were really uh, hectic. I was gonna say you should have went on the Tron ride over there. It's supposed to be really good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've kept up with my Disney trends. Um, I'm going there. But, going there in September. I can't wait. <laughs> Not in Tokyo, but Florida. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Um, but it's uh, for us. It just sort of worked out. Like figured, you know what? Going to like it's like you know New York City on Labor Day weekend. Nobody wants to be in the city. Like you know. what? Tokyo is kind of where I want to be. So the city being a little more empty or even a little, you know, more relaxed during that time, it seems like a good idea, a great deal. And it just so happened, you know, I got there, there was a bunch of shows going on because everyone's off of work. So they had planned to do all these concerts and stuff. And that was really cool. And while I was there, you know, I met a bunch of people from different bands like um, Mason's Party, Seven Step, um, I'm blanking all the names now. Uh, or I've got to reconnect with my friends in Oris Ska Band who we played with here in New York a couple years ago. Okay. Um, I got to meet um, Tatsuyuki Hiyamuto, who was like the... He used to be like sort of occupy the singer role in Tokyo Sky Paradise Orchestra. He has a band called The Man now, or More The Man, actually. Okay. They had a weird name change. Like, they were called The Man, and then a couple people left, and they said, well... We still want to do this, so we're calling ourselves more the man, kind of like more specials. <laughs> but it, but phenomenal band, um, and just it, it worked out that just there happened to be all these shows, and it was uh, awesome. So I want to try and set up something like that for pandemics. And there's been interest from a couple other bands who I really shouldn't, you know, talk about just yet that might want to join us on that venture. Yeah, probably should wait until that's real. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean. I mean, the scene's gonna... pretty, pretty, still pretty good over there, right? I mean, it's how there's, you know, it has its moments. I'd say it's not, you know, I think it's kind of ducks back down below the mainstream. What I've noticed in Japan is that 
like there are certain trends that sort of mirror the U.S., but they're always a couple of years behind. Mm. Like, um, you know, the early 2000s in the U.S., you know, the agrolytes popped up and then instantly there were dirty reggae bands everywhere. And, you know, Japan is kind of, in the last couple of years, have been going through that phase themselves a little bit too. And it's uh, interesting to, to watch, but the one festival I went to, the, I think it was Hoppin' and Skankin' or Hoppin' and Steppin' Festival in uh, Kawasaki. It was like 20 bands uh, in you know, and what they did is just had 20 minute sets on. They did split this big stage in half, and just brought a curtain out, so you'd basically get like the warp tour effect. So people would be playing on one side, and they'd be setting up on the other side, and they just uh, okay. move over. And it was a great show. I mean, Daleks, Seventh Step, uh, Japonicans, who I saw in New York years ago. Um, I don't know any of these bands you're listening. I'm like, I gotta get, I don't know, I gotta get into more ska, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, the Autocratics are another good one. Um, it's got uh, the guitarist from Rude Bones in the band. I know Rude uh, Bones. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Kimuri. Uh, the, there was a band called The Redemption that has the bass player from Kimuri that played that okay. day, too. Um, oh, uh, Glug, 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 uh, G-E-L-U-G-U-G-U. I, it's pronounced Glug, 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 I think. Um, from Osaka played. What, that's, um, a, that's a name. <laughs> And it's like one of those things when I first started, you know, dive doing my deep dives into the, you know, the Japanese ska scene. Like I couldn't, there's this couple secondhand CD stores in New York and, you know, I, I, my Japanese is atrocious. I really can't read Japanese at all, but you know, they had a record called I heart ska punk. And that was, you know, easy enough to, <laughs> to zoom in on. And I was a, a fan ever since I found that one. Okay. But it's uh, but yeah, it's great. I recommend anyone that has the opportunity to go should go. I mean, but I, I'm hoping that, I've made enough friends that uh, I at least put together the semblance of a tour. And then hopefully we meet the right people that can help make it a, a reality over the next year or so, just through networking and emailing and all that other fun stuff. But before that, the U S <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and then towards the end, you'll be, you're going to be playing with the Boston's. So that's going to be pretty huge. Yep. Um, I mean, it's what's well, the whole tour is. Uh, I mean, that's at the very end of August. Yeah, we're still. I think we're still calling it the the, the going viral tour. The whole thing. But, it spreads. Uh, it spreads. It's you know. <laughs> yep. Well, I, that's what pandemics do. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, let me just uh, just do a quick like, rundown of where we're going. Yeah, um, sure. So we start off in Brooklyn, and the next night we're playing in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, which is right outside Harrisburg with uh, Frink's Constant. Okay. Then we're playing at this place called Grizzlies in Wyandotte, uh, Michigan, which is, I'm told, uh, 10, 15 minutes outside of Detroit okay. the next night. And I think we're playing with uh, this band, Checkerboard Jive, CBJ. And there are a couple more bands being added to that. It's another one of those dates that we lost twice and had to rebook. Okay. So details still coming through. <laughs> um, the next night, we're in uh, Chicago, the Sunday the 21st with uh beat the smart kids and malafacha um they just changed they just got the venue confirmed last night um i want to say it's the 10 doors bar or something like that or 10 beautiful doors bar if you google it up it comes up um i didn't know your facebook page yeah yeah we'll have an updated tour poster in the next day or so i was checking your website i'm like you haven't really updated it too much i guess everyone uses facebook now as their band pages and stuff I mean, that's the thing. I was told that, you know, we kind of had to make a decision earlier this year or at the end of last year, what we're going to do with our website because our, our hosting was up yeah. and our web store stopped working because we didn't have our own security certificate. And, you know, if you're going to register that, you know, it's a, it's a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. And it, you know what? We really don't make enough money to really justify that. More people use the Facebook page or other vendor options out there that are not going to cost us a hundred dollars. Yeah. So we update it and I just assumed that it would, you know, be going offline because we were told our hosting would end on January 1st, but you know, it's still there. <laughs> you should just have the redirect go to Facebook at this point. Use your name. Sorry. Yeah. I'm a web guy. Sorry. <laughs> because no, no, that, that's, that's absolutely what I should do. Um, I've got a great, I've got to get around to doing it. I could just go to GoDaddy and fix that, I guess. Says the web designer that doesn't do freelance anymore because Facebook took all the business away. <laughs> <laughs> Oh God. Um, speaking of the website, I actually just came up last week. Um, our trumpet player, Chris has, you know, he's a, he's a music teacher mm-hmm. and a couple of his students found, you know, the band website. And, you know, we have that ad up there from when we were looking for a drummer, you know, we've had a drummer 
Uh, her name is Kat for the last year. Right. But it still says we're looking for a drummer. So he started getting these like, you know, jokey emails from his students applying for the drummer position. And like, I had to like, I didn't know what was going on at first. I'm like, we've had, where we've had a drummer for a year. Where, why are you asking? Oh, but your website says you're looking. I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, but yeah, I mean, we have to, we have to take that down. The reason we keep, I guess the URL is all the emails are tied in through the website. And it just, it's a little more official than, you know, the pandemic sky Gmail. Gmail, yeah. Yeah. Um, so did you cover all the dates? You're playing with no, so playing no, with the covers, I, right? Yeah, I keep getting thrown off track. Sorry about that. That's um, right. Before, no, I, that's, it happens. Before we get to Pilfers, um, actually the show that's really kind of the coolest date of all on the tour. I mean, no disrespect to Pilfers. I love Pilfers, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but Monday, July 21st, I know it's odd to think of Monday as a big date. We're playing at the Kitty Cat Club in Minneapolis. We're playing the Firewalkers tour kickoff LP release show um, in Minneapolis. Um, I don't know them. Are they kind of like... I mixed them up. Sorry. The Prize Fighters Prize Fire Fighters. album. <laughs> yes. It's tough to go around. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. This is, new, is this a new Rocksteady band? <laughs> I'm sorry, Courtney. I'm sorry, Jordan. Jesus. Uh, yeah, the Prize Fighters Firewalk album. And it's, it's my favorite album of 2019 so far. It's really cool. Everyone should check it out on the Bandcamp page. You can pre-order it now. It's out on Jump Up Records. Has um, it been out though? Hasn't it been out? I'm not sure. I think you might have been able to pre-order it or order it from Jump Up directly. Um, I don't know if they're mailing them out currently. I was told that it is the uh, the tour kickoff, so I'm assuming okay. that they're supporting the record. So if I misspeak, excuse me. Uh, but that's really cool. I really like the record. They got a really cool cover of. Uh, Tank by the seatbelts. It's like the cowboy bebop theme. Okay. And rocksteady style on it. And it's just a great instrumental, like ska and rocksteady record. Really in love with it. Um, then the next night we're playing in. Uh, Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> New York traffic for you. Uh, we're playing in Rock Island, uh, Illinois. And that's part of something I'm being told is called the Quad Cities, which I guess is around the border of. Iowa and Illinois. It's like Davenport, Iowa, Rock Island, Illinois. And I don't know what the other two are, but um, okay. it's supposedly like a big, it's kind of like Minneapolis and St. Paul, the twin cities. These are the quad cities. Okay. So we're playing there. And then the last night of the extended run, I guess, is uh, at the new Longhorn Saloon in Toledo, Ohio. And that's with Pilfers, Stop the Presses, and uh, local band out there, Ego and the Maniacs which is a interesting band. I actually first met those guys when I was out with Pilfers a couple of years ago. It was really cool that we were able to reconnect for that. Are you playing with the Pilfers or are you just like playing the same bill? as? You know, I was asked to do the run and I had to turn it down because I'm already out with pandemics, but yeah. you know, that night, who knows? I'll probably sit in for a few songs or something. You know, I, I always leave that stuff up to Cooley. I don't like to sit on anyone's toes, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, do you, what do you like about touring and what do you, what do you hate about it? Oh, I probably should mention, sorry, two more dates. That's it. <laughs> this guy realized they're not part of that main run, but um, August 2nd, when the prize fighters come to New York, we're playing with them in Brooklyn at Kingsland. Kingsland, yeah. And another gig at Kingsland we're doing on August 30th with uh, the Scapones from UK. They just got off tour with the specials. Yeah, um, and they're playing with Rude Boy George, I think, out in the Midwest during that tour. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, I mean, they're kind of... You know, hitting a bunch of big cities, and I think Rude Boy George is joining for the Midwest to jump to that. Yeah, yeah. Yes, dude, you seem very, very busy. Yeah, <laughs> and you're playing with some great bands too. It's it's uh, you're you know, lucking out playing opening for the Boston's. That's going to be huge. Yeah, that's like a big bucket list item for pandemics. I mean, uh, they're one of my favorite bands. I mean, they're a lot of people's favorite bands, I guess. Yeah. But um, but those shows are always amazing. I mean, I played. A night of throwdown a couple of years ago um, with the Porkers. Right. Then uh, when they came over from Australia, it was sort of a uh, the, the core of the band, and then there were a couple of subs like myself and um, the drummer, this guy Kai Smith, who has like these crazy videos on YouTube of him playing like entire bands' discographies over a period of five minutes. Like they cut together like five seconds of every song with this one big like super clip, and. It's funny, like later that year, they brought it to Madison Square Garden to play the Beatles discography in like 10 minutes. 
like every single beat. Remember, yeah, I was telling me about that guy. Yeah, he is. I don't know how what kind of mind you have to have to memorize every single song, at least enough of every single song that you can do it all in a row. Yeah, it's just such an odd thing. And I guess you know it has a lot of crowd appeal because I mean those are some of the most popular songs ever written. <laughs> but uh, but I mean yeah, that the boss tones are you know one of your bands always put on an incredible show. Webster Hall is a great room. Um, Bedouin Sound Clash is on that show too. It's right. definitely one of the biggest shows we've ever played. And, um, you know, just we're really proud to be doing it. I know our drummer, Kat, you know, is a huge Boss Tones fan. I'll tell all the Pandemics guys are Boss Tones fans. So we're really excited about that one, too. So, oh, so I was saying, oh, so about touring, that was like, so what do you like about it? What do you hate about it? All right. So it's kind of like, you know, I have this, when I get ready to do gigs, I always stress out about getting there. Like I'm always, you know, nerve wracking about running, nerve wracking about running late or, you know, rushing to get somewhere. But then when you're there, when you finally can relax, it's amazing. And touring is kind of like that. The, the buildup to actually hitting out on the road is that since we booked, I basically booked the entire tour with some help from our bass player, Vinny on uh, some of the connections in the Midwest. Like uh, he's like, he's handling the, uh, the Milwaukee gig, which were, Unfortunately, we just lost two days ago, so we're rebooking now. Mm. Um, and, you know, that happens. You know, it's just miscommunications along the way, especially if you don't know all the people you're working with on a regular basis. Um, but um, everything leading up to it, like between the prepping tunes to go, uh, doing things like renting a van, booking accommodations, which I'm still doing right now. Uh, now everything's finalized, or at least you know, set to the point where I can look up where to go. Um, all that stuff, it just sort of consumes you. Like, you know, it takes over every scrap of free time I have because it's like when you're first getting the gigs, you got to send out press packages and do cold emails and try and basically convince people that have never heard of your band before that, you know, to book you to play a show or to, to try and build a concert around you. And you try and network with other bands to, you know, that are in similar positions as yourself uh, to try and ease, up, ease that load a little bit. Um, but once you're on the road, it's awesome. It's like hanging out with your friends for a yeah. week straight. And, you know, some of those longer drives don't feel as long because you're hanging out with good people, listening to good music, uh, joking around. You know, it really kind of depends on the band. I've done a different, bunch of different tours now with a bunch of different bands. And every group is different and has their own thing. Like uh, Bigger Thomas used to have these games that they would play in the car, like <laughs> the iPod War and... They had this like, weird playoff bracket system, like where they basically compete for control of the radio for an hour, you know, trying to either impress certain, you know, contingencies in the car, who could play the better song or who could play the, uh, the sexiest song or the funkiest song based on what you had on your device at the time. That sounds like fun. It, it is at a large group. Yeah. Other bands, like I'm, the pandemics once did like a bunch of books on tape. Because everyone, we couldn't agree on music, so we just—I had an Audible account and just said, "I got 15 credits. What do you guys want to listen to?" And we just picked a couple of books in our car. That wouldn't put you to sleep, though. Eh, some people it does. I mean, yeah. you, def you definitely end up, you know, buried in your headphones for part of the trip just because you know everyone needs a little downtime every now and again. Yeah. But just stay. What's called going someplace where you can do your thing and. You know, it really get to hang out with everybody is really the best part. You don't have to worry about, I mean, I know it's work because you're, you're literally traveling from place to place and performing, but when it's not your full-time job, it's really just time doing what you love. Um, so I love that aspect of it, going out and performing for other people, going out and playing clubs and seeing new bands that you haven't seen before. But, you know, the, the buildup is, you know, a challenge. It's why, you know, people like booking agents, you know, do the job they do because, that is a stressful thing to deal with. It's like, me, it's like me trying to book my Disney trip right now. It's like every day I'm like, okay, well, we got to go here. Then we got to go here. <laughs> it's the same it's thing. Like, yeah. Yeah. That times like, you know, eight, because you're dealing with, you know, the needs of eight people. Like yeah. I have to get, you know, a vehicle for eight, a vehicle for eight people. I have to get accommodations for eight people. You know, we have seven plus, you know, we have somebody doing merch for us on this tour. Um, our, Barry player, James's girlfriend, Christine is coming with us again. So she's basically handling all the merch duties for the tour, which is nice because, you know, we can't be doing everything every step of the way. And it's nice to have somebody there who's 
able to handle all those little things like that we can't do while we're on stage or um, basically or sometimes just provide an outside perspective too. Like as you get kind of in your own head on tour sometimes. Like if you're doing something like say uh, my voice can sometimes get, if I sing too many nights in a row, it gets a little hoarse. Yeah. It's good. You know, it's, if staff says like as a neutral observer that's outside of, you know, the band on stage, I can point out little things like, Oh, you're singing a little too hard. Maybe you should, you know, try and step back the next night, that kind of thing. I mean, with something like that, do you have like a remedy that maybe don't talk or? <laughs> There's a lot of like different like uh, new age common sense remedies. That's definitely one of them. Talk as little as possible between gigs or between performances. Um, we definitely take like our a whiteboard <laughs> <laughs> or just a keyboard and just text everybody like yeah. the whole band at once. <laughs> Um, but there's, yeah, there's little things like that. Like I've got this little drink that, uh, my wife showed me how to make out of apple cider vinegar, honey, and hot water, and maybe a little bit of mint if you have access to mint. And it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, drinking hot tea with lemon and honey. It just soothes the back of your throat a little mm -hmm. bit. So it's not a cure-all. The only cure-all is really, you know, rest and sleep yeah. and, you know, not partying too hard <laughs> while you're out yeah, of the Yeah, that's another one. I don't really know um, too much of the history of the pandemics, though, Mike. So when did you start the band and all that kind of stuff? Okay. Um, well, the first, uh, if we go back to like the first inklings of the idea of the pandemics, um, probably back in 2007, I was, had just, uh, what's called? I was, I, was in, I was working on different bands at the time. I think I was playing with Bigger Thomas and Rudy Crew. Uh, Spedrick and the Mad Dogs had just, you know, starting to slow down and I wanted to start my own project because I sort of found myself playing in nothing but two-tone inspired ska bands and, you know, reggae ska bands. So I wanted yeah. to get back to ska punk and, you know, I just started messing around with a few different musicians, um, doing jam sessions. So the first jam session in 2007 with some friends, you know, none of them are in the band now, but, uh, our first trumpet player, Chris Chatterton was there that night. Our first guitarist, uh, Gino LoBianco was there. And oddly enough, three members of uh, Baby Love and the Van Dangos from Denmark were there. I don't know them. <laughs> no, uh, they, were, they were a Megalith band. Um, they oh, answered okay. answered an ad on Craigslist. Uh, two of the guys just said, oh, we're in town on vacation and we're just looking to jam. Are there any you know, ska and reggae bands that are holding jam sessions or whatever have you? They said, oh, I'll put something together. And out of that jam session came like the first seeds of... Uh, song uh brain on tap which is like the title track of her first full length and it just became something i just kept working at week to week uh because at that time you know all the guys i was playing with were like 20 years older than me so bands like at the time they weren't really rehearsing week to week so like bigger thomas would rehearse once a month twice once every two months rudy crew same same kind of deal i mean everyone knew their parts uh and I wasn't really on the inside of, you know, leadership in either of those bands. So there really wasn't much for me to do. So I wanted to do it on my own and I just sort of kept building on it and building on it and building on it and, until we have finally had a lineup that stuck. That took about three years and then the pandemics were, uh, were there. And over the time, until we hit that, that threshold, we played our first show, the name changed once or twice. Um, we changed, we, we were like a meat grinder. We went through so many different, you know, members just that just would say, you know, a lot of people like the idea of being in a band rather than committing to being in yeah, a band. It's, it is a commitment. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, then you also have like on Craigslist, you have all these people that they are basically looking for, you know, they're looking for paid work and you know, it's handy when you're in a pinch and you have, you know, like these big gigs, but if you're just starting out, you know, did, did, did we mention that we play ska music? That's there's no money. It's ska music. Yeah. There are a surprising amount of, you know, full-time musicians out there, professional musicians that have ska on their resume. I mean, not, not that they were in ska bands, but they would look at, are looking to play ska for money. And it's like, do you know what we do? Yeah. <laughs> they usually but start it, from high school and then, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely been a labor of love. I mean, we've never, I mean, we've used, you know, subs and hired people on occasion when we, when the situation calls for it, but yeah. It took about three years to get off the ground. And then in the first six months or so, we recorded a record um, of Patient Zero EP, uh, played around some more. 
I mean, that's the thing. A lot of it is just, you know, playing shows and trying to get bigger shows. And uh, then you do your first tour. We did our first tour right when Brain on Tap came out. And that was a huge uh, debacle to put together because, again, same thing. You know, you put together gigs with band that nobody's heard of. And you just go out there and play your heart out every night. And you try and do it better next time. Um, But I, I wish I had... I didn't know this was going to be a video, video interview. Otherwise, I'd have like all my spreadsheets with a list of bands we played with. And Well, yeah, it's just easier to talk to you instead of over the phone so I can see so we're not like cutting each other off like in the no, passive. No, no. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Sorry, I'm doing it right now. Yeah. It's funny, Absolutely. though, the video right now, it's like it. you look like you just got slimed by like Slimer from Ghostbuster because the way the video is all like pixelated. <laughs> Uh, I thought you were going to say because you're sitting outside in like a 86 degree heat. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I'm inside in the AC. <laughs> it's it's okay. Yeah. I have a little bit busy out here while we're we're doing this thing. So I mean, so um, what? How did you get into Scott? Like, what was like the first album and or show and like who introduced you to Scott? Okay. Um, well, I guess you know the first time I really you know listened to Scott music, uh, I was probably like 13 or 14 years old. Well, I, I was I was in Boy Scouts at the time. I was on a ski trip. Um, this little tiny rinky-dink mountain up in the Catskills, um, and I basically, you know, we brought one of my friends along, and he was, you know, into ska. And he loaned. I just gotten like a my first discman, discman, like Walkman. Yeah. CD. And he had, you know, a handful of local ska CDs. He had um, the first Spider Nick and the Mad Dog CD, the Ska Flows Live record. Um, before you knew better by Edna's goldfish. And I think like the first long Island Scott comp and just, you know, it was a long ride. It was like three and a half hours to get up there. And of course, you know, it's snowing. So it took forever. And I just start, I just borrowed those CDs from him for the ride up. And I just listened to them religiously until I almost wore them out before giving them back. And then eventually going to pick up my own copies. And I kind of fell in love there and just, I've been a fan ever since. Cool. Just, Do you remember like what your first Scott show was? Yes. Um, my first ska show was I'm trying to think. I went to go see Spider Nick and the Mad Dogs, the Scoff Laws, and I want to say like Channel 59 at this local crafts fair in Long Island. <laughs> yeah. They did like these town festivals, but they're really never anything more than like people with like homemade wicker baskets and some carnival rides and they have like a live music exhibition for like people with families and stuff. And in the mid nineties, ska was popping. So that was what they had. They had local ska bands and thankfully being in Huntington, New York, we had, you know, good local ska bands. We had the ska flaws and spider Nick and channel 59, which is a, they were a ska punk band with a Dan Deacon as the singer. Uh, he's like, this weird experimental music hipster darling right now. And oh. it's kind of odd to remember him being in this dorky ska band. Oh, is that the guy that's like, <laughs> that he, he's like always in the middle of a crowd and he's got big glasses on and he has this little computer or something or like little, whatever the hell he does. Okay. Yep. I've seen pictures of him all the time. He's got like a table and it looks like, you know, a bunch of like improvised instruments made out of like an old speaking spell. I didn't know he was in a ska band. That's funny. Yeah. Oh God. Uh, we could do a whole episode about that. They were, <laughs> ask Hana, next time you see JT, ask him about the, uh, their website story. Um, cause they couldn't get channel 59.com. You know, this is the internet age web people are just starting to make websites. Yeah. They got, I think it was a dog penis.com. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it dog was, penis is better. It was available, you know, I mean, imagine that, <laughs> but it was, uh, but they were always really fun. Their music was kind of nonsensical and they looking back, were not that great of a band at all, but yeah. they were always entertaining and fun. But, um, but that was my first show. And just from there, there were a bunch of, you know, little clubs on Long Island doing stuff. A lot of, you know, church youth groups would put on shows. Like I used to go to this place called the old first church, which was right in Huntington village. Um, Where was Deja Vu or Deja One or something? Deja One was in Mineola. And okay. I went to a couple of shows there. I mean, that's the thing, too. I didn't just go to ska shows. I still don't just go to ska shows. I mean, when I, my second show ever was uh, Sick of It All, Ensign, and Kill Your Idols, I think, at Deja One. Nice. So, I mean, go figure. Ska was the one that stuck. <laughs> but uh, I still enjoy, you know... 
good old school New York hardcore every now and again, punk rock. Uh, I listen to a lot of different stuff. I know. It's I just got, saw Madball. I'm like, man, I got to listen to more Madball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we played with uh, one of the dudes from Madball a while ago. Pandemics, I mean. Yeah. Uh, like something with something in the distractions. Um, it was like one of the this dude's side projects. And we had the show at Otto Shrunken Head. It was like the day after a blizzard oh. in New York February. And we basically adopted another show that had been canceled with the. Uh, oh, so the just the crowds merged into they didn't know what to do. <laughs> kind of. I mean, that thing, the show was in like White Plains or Tarrytown. And then there's. They canceled because they got hit a lot harder than New York City did. So New York City was the streets were plowed the next day, but they canceled the show, I guess, because they were expecting and then got two and a half feet of snow. So I just said, hey, why don't we just bring your show to our show? Because you guys are already here. And it was uh, probably one of the you know the, the best uh, shows I've ever played at Otto's, but one of the you know, not very well attended because, you know, the blizzard. <laughs> well, there's only so many people that could fit in that room anyway. <laughs> That's true. I mean, I've played a number of, you know, I guess you'd call them sold out shows there, but it's you know, it only really fits like 30 people. 40 yeah, it's people. the rest of the bands that are playing on the bill. <laughs> <laughs> it always feels like a good time, I guess. Yeah. So, I mean, so, that was that was where we played our first show. Oh, OK. A, so, I mean, it's kind of sentimental to us in that regard. And, you know, we always like going back there. Like they've been, I've been booking shows there since 2004. That's where we had our rejunk 20th anniversary. Uh, we had Root Boy George play there and we're like, oh, there's not that many people here, but it, it's like, there's enough people you can dance and there's a crowd. Yeah. So it's all that matters. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, if it kind of, sometimes it's better if you don't have too, too many people there just because it starts to feel like a fire hazard. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, no, don't get me wrong. I love that place with every fireman being. They, Nell and Steve really give us something cool to, to do or a place to do what we do, which is, you know, an ever shrinking pool of places in New York City, which is unfortunate. But yeah. so, I mean, I always love playing there. I'll always go back there and play it if play if asked. It's just, uh, yeah, I mean, we've definitely had, uh, like, I remember I did one show there with Rudy Crew where it was during the winter time and everyone piled their coats on top of the PA. So it over <laughs> shorted out right in the middle of Rudy Cruz set. Oh. It was like, uh, I mean, the band tried to keep on playing like acoustic, like just, you know, sand yeah. yeah. But just it, Roy was not having it. He was not happy about that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking did, of what Radix Fest coming up, congrats. Oh yeah. I mean, it was, it started out as like a four, four band show and then Cooley, ran with it and added more and then drama yeah. and drama ensued and <laughs> yeah, it's probably best not to go too deep into that. Um, yeah. We did that. We did it when Cooley was on the podcast. We talked about it briefly, but um, yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. It's like, I just wanted to show on my birthday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I know. Um, I mean, to be fair, I'm kind of on both sides that I understand all perspectives. Yes, but. I do. And that's, yeah, we, we yeah. tried making things work and just, yeah, it was, Anyway, um, anyway, <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to talk about going back into your your earlier career. So you you were playing. Sure. When did you meet up with Sp Spider Nick? That was like your first ska show. But then, when did you join his band? Well, um, you know, I've been a fan for a long time, and I mean, that's the thing. You know, I started playing in ska bands in the late like ninety nine, ninety eight. You know, everyone was into you know really into ska punk and third wave, and you know the Mad Dogs were kind of doing this like two-tone inspired stuff that not a lot of people were hip to on Long Island. Well, I mean, hip to, we were like 18, we were like 16 and 17 and 18. Yeah. So everyone was into like, you know, Goldfinger and Real Big Fish and Less Than Jake. But, you know, I still kind of skewed a little closer to more traditional stuff like the Scoffles and the Spider Nick and the Toasters. And, you know, I, I basically you know, kept following them and kept following them. And then in 2013, sorry, no, excuse me, 2003, <laughs> just throw a deck there. Uh, 2003, you know, they mentioned they were looking for a trombonist. And I said, you know, at the time I had, I had been thrown out of Rudy crew for the first time in 2002. And I was in a couple of ska punk bands that didn't seem to be going anywhere or doing anything. Wait, I don't know anything about that. Why did he get, get why did he get kicked out of uh, Rudy crew? Well, I, I, well, aside from not being very good at the time, oh, okay. uh, it was just, it, it was just more along the lines of, you know, Rudy Chris going through shit. All right. Let me go back even further. <laughs> I the thought Spider Nick was your first band. I didn't know that. 
No, I was I was in Rudy Crew first. Oh, okay. Um, 2001, I started going to school up in the Bronx, and you know I saw like it was a you know a new thing for me to be able to go to to ska shows on a weeknight, just because you know, I was living in the city. Yeah. I used to take a subway down, and I saw you know lots of shows with the. This is back when Bucket was still living in New Jersey, and uh, so there were toaster shows often, and there were you know New York City ska shows all over the place. I used to go to Wetlands. I used to go to oh, Wetlands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and high tramps, yeah, all those. Yep. Yeah, and so I mean, I used to go to shows just on weeknights when just because I was there because in the city, like I remember meeting up with uh, seeing the Rudy Crew at SOBs and this one short-lived concert series they tried to do at uh, the Hard Rock in New York City that like lasted like two shows because <laughs> they re- they didn't have a cabaret license. <laughs> so people wow, would I didn't even know that. Yeah, um, but. She got talking and I said, the L and Dan just said, Hey, you should just come down and bring your horn and come hang out. And it was, uh, you know, recruit practices, especially back then were just chaotic, you know, craziness, basically just show up. There'd be, you know, I was 18 or 19 at the time. So everyone would have, you know, like their own six pack of beer. So I'd drink for free and, uh, basically was told, all right, we don't have time to teach you anything. And none of the parts are written down. So just, you know, listen and play along. And that became like, something I just got really good at doing. I got really good at just listening, writing down and just learning on the fly. Like there was no time to slow down and teach somebody else new stuff. And, you know, it was about a skill I've, you know, I use all the time. I mean, it was one of the things where, you know, a year later, um, the drummer and singer uh, of Rudy Crew at the time, Greeny and this guy, Junior, both had to leave the country um, for various reasons that I'm not going to get into, but Mm -hmm. They both had to leave the country, which kind of left the band high and dry. This is sort of when Radix stepped up to be, you know, the main singer. Because at the time, he was sharing duties with Greeny. And um, they just decided, you know, I was this 18-year-old kid in college. I was, you know, kind of, I was up in the Bronx. It took forever to get down to, like, you know, Soho to rehearse. So, like, I'd show up to rehearsal an hour late. I couldn't make all the gigs. They said, you know, we need to, to rebuild the band a little bit. We really don't have time to you know, what's called to be working with you know, more than two horns right now. And I kind of, as a kid, I was like, all right, it's fine. And they set me up with a couple of this other band, this odd project, Gaijin the Go-Go, which is like Go-Go music inspired by like 70s, like the 70s bands in Japan, mimicking like Northern soul bands in the UK. It was this weird thing, but mm-hmm. it just became this like cycle of me playing with other bands and that's kind of when, you know, I hopped on board with Spider Nick because at the time I was no longer in Rudy Crew. I had a couple of ska punk bands on Long Island, but I was living in the city. So I needed something that was a little bit more regular than, you know, bands with people in college because people tend to go away when they go to college. So everything slows down. And um, no, it, just, it was something I, pl- I played with the Mad Dogs for like a decade. I learned an awful lot. And just around, you know, 2005 2006 when you know nick was uh, in the process of moving off long island and uh transitioning to his new life upstate um i started playing with bigger thomas okay yeah i was gonna get into that yeah so how long did you play with bigger bigger thomas uh bigger thomas i played with from 2005 until 2013 and it was uh it was good times it's it, it, i did was playing with so many bands at one point i just i had to make a decision yeah and it was it was time to go and at the same time bigger thomas was also winding down in 2013 just because um you know they have had a couple of two drummers you know this guy johnny d and jim cooper and both were you know busy with other projects as well and i think Mark and Roger really wanted to sort of set off and do their own thing, which I think is where Rude Boy George and Heaven's B came from. Yeah. Um, it was just uh, the parting of ways. You know, everyone would have more things, and it gave me time to do Caracatura uh, and Pandemics, which was, you know, right around the time when that, when that split. Like, that did started. You, I was going to say, did you set out to be a singer, or did, did you just like, you couldn't find anyone to say, oh, fuck it, I'll do it? Well, uh, I'm not going to name names, but uh, we had, you know, a, a couple of different singers in pandemic oh, okay. first started. And I mean, that was like the big thing I wanted to do when it started with pandemic. So I wanted a project I could have more direct, you know, access to in terms of songwriting. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was writing lyrics and I was writing, you know, horn lines and, 
you know, I kept on telling sing- these singers that we had like, no, sing it this way. And I sing it a certain way. And they just never really got it right. So when the singer we were working with at the time, just, you know, in an odd fashion, made up some crazy story to get out of coming to rehearsal for like the eighth time. I was like, you know what? Why don't I try doing this? And <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just sort of, sort of stuck that way. It's just something I just did on the side. Like I've only had one vocal lesson in my life. The same way I've, I've only had one trombone lesson in my life too. It's kind of like just pick it up and as you go along. Well, I, I tried playing a trombone. So someone I knew had a trombone. I'm like, let me try. And I'm like, nah, this is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the thing. First I played trumpet. So like I had a bit of a background there from just like elementary school and high school and junior high school orchestra or concert band. So I had lessons, you know, through that and basically picked up trombone because my high school jazz band needed a trombone player. They said, here, we'll get you lessons. And then just the lessons never really materialized. (laughs) But, um, and then, you know, when I graduated high school, you know, somebody stole my trumpet after a gig. So it became a real easy decision to be a trombonist. Yeah. No one was to lug that shit around. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, that's sort of where I've been ever since. I mean, and I've dabbled with other instruments too. Like I play the bagpipes too. Really? Uh, yep. So you gonna do the Irish up. Irish song uh, or uh, Irish album? <laughs> <laughs> I was playing him in Bigger Thomas for a little while. Um, I don't know. I don't know that. Like I would do. Uh, like that's the thing. There's only really two hugely busy times a year for bagpipers. So you get like right the month before the month uh, from February to April. And then, like, around Columbus Day sometimes, they have the March and the Parades then. Yeah. But in, it was something I did while I was in college because the college had a drum pipe corps. And, um, like, right around St. Patrick's Day one year, Bigger Thomas did, like, a run of dates with, the, with uh, Dave Wakeling's English Beat. Yeah. And, you know, it was, like, same, one of the things was on St. Patrick's Day out in Sellersville, Pennsylvania. And this big theater, nobody had ever heard of Bigger Thomas before out there. But, you know, everyone was there for the beat. And, you know, I just had my bagpipes with me because I didn't have any other choice. Like, I couldn't go and drop them anywhere. So, they're, I think they're in the key of G or key of A. If I remember. It's been a while. Um, the song Monkey Man is in the same key. And I just told our drummer, uh, Johnny, I was like, look, when we go into Monkey Man, just lay out for a minute. Let me do something. And I played Monkey Man on the bagpipe. And everybody, like, lost their shit. Sellersville, <laughs> <laughs> because it was, like, it was St. Patrick's Day. And like, is there video of that? No, unfortunately, we did. A, <laughs> they did video like the next time we were in Sellersville because they wanted to catch it again. But uh, it was a really cool little club. There is like an old movie theater or playhouse that they turned into like a music venue. Okay, yeah, they still have and, a lot of shows there. I think right. They yeah. do. I mean, their their main jam is like bluegrass and country. But every once in a while, they do something like uh, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy or the English Beat or something that really kind of yeah. can vibe, I guess, with their uh, their their clientele out there mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean that was uh from like 2002 to 2000 and maybe 12 i was playing with pretty much anybody that i could you know play with like five bands at once i know i just i, I know you as the guy that's like plays trombone with everybody <laughs> yeah i mean i've kept a, a somebody asked me i was like how many bands you've actually played with and i kept a list of like all the bands i've subbed for and sat in with and it's like, it's easily over 50 bands in the wow. last 20 Like, um, you know, between, and the and the ones I've done, like, longer stints with, you know, obviously I've learned more for, like, those gigs with Porkers, I learned a full set. Pilfers, obviously I know most of the, the tracks at this point. And you guys played a couple songs with uh, Roddy and Linville from the specials, too, at Characters. Oh, God, that's another story. Um, <laughs> yeah, please tell me. <laughs> Uh, I don't know how much I should do. I really like Linval and Roddy. Um, Roddy was always one of the coolest guys ever. He was very casual and laid back. Linval was a little more high strung. Um, <laughs> like uh, we were, do- when we did that one gig with him in New York. You know, I set it up basically as like a like a meet and greet for fans, so Roddy could do his own thing and showcase his own music. And Linval just decided he was going to come. And you know, we're like, oh, more the merrier. That's awesome. And you can sit and do these tunes and. Uh, we were during, during sound check. I guess there was just something that wasn't right. And he basically gave the pandemics like a, an hour and a half clinic, <laughs> a handful of special tunes. And just uh, Linville ended up not being happy with how our, some of our guys were doing it. So he, he opted not to do it. And I just told Riley, like, look, 
whatever you want to do. We don't have to do this. We can just play our own stuff and you play your stuff. And yeah. Be fine with it. And, uh, no, he's like, no, 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 we'll, we'll be fine. I'll still do it. I don't care. It'll be fun. And it was, we had a good time. Yeah, it was and fun. I, I mean, uh, but Linval is just like, I, I can't deal with this. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, 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 to be fair, he wasn't supposed to play in the first place. So you're like, all right, you know, you do you, man. It's yeah. cool. Thanks think, for coming. Because he played, I think, the night before on the pier somewhere on the, in, in Manhattan. And they did, I think, the night, the night after, I think that's what it was. Yeah, like they, they did that big pier show and then they had... Um, like they were, they were basically made New York their base of operations, and they did day trips out to Long Island, to, to New Jersey, to Asbury Park, to Philadelphia, and just did a bunch of gigs surrounding New York City. And the on the off night, just said, I told I approached Rice like, would you like to do a show? And you know, I think you know Linval basically rushed the stage during Roddy's set and played a bunch of songs acoustic, uh, some of which we were supposed to play with Roddy. <laughs> and it's all right. I'd be like the, I mean Roddy's like at one point he's like. I think we're supposed to please with the pandemics. Oh, but don't you want to hear these songs? They were number four. The crowd's eating it up. And it's like, we're just sitting there like, what are you doing? <laughs> I was, I was Facebook friends with Roddy. I, I, th- I think I, I posted the last time I saw the specials. I put, po- I post, he, he, like he does, he makes his, his uh, presence known of how he feels about Terry. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh, tell me how you really feel. <laughs> Roddy. And I think he quickly deleted me. I'm like for that. All right. All right. Whatever. I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, I know. I, mean, I, I know there's bad blood, but I was just making a like a gag. But I guess he probably didn't want to see photos of Terry. <laughs> I guess. I mean, I've, I've never met Terry. Um, I understand that certain people can have history. You know, I've been in enough bands to know that is certainly the case. Yeah. I mean, but no, I've never had a problem with Roddy. I mean, I've I've met a few few yeah, of the special. He was nice when I met him in person. Yeah. But. Really sweet guy. Um, so I mean, but I. He's he's definitely a character. We'll leave yeah. it at that. <laughs> um, let's move on to so uh, blah, 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 blah. we'll talk about that. So, all right, I think we're winding down here. I think the only mm-hmm. really thing I wanted to uh, to do next was since you send me Jeff Goldblum news all the time, I wanted to do the <laughs> Goldblum trivia. <laughs> oh God, I'm gonna fail this miserably. That's okay, right. all right, all right, gotta. Insert the theme song and okay. There's a theme okay. song? Yeah, I, I made a, like, a little theme song where I just have him going, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> All right. Well, sure. Uh, uh, oh. Uh, 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 life, uh, finds a way. What are we waiting for? Let's do it. Number one, what was the first Marvel MCU movie that Jeff Goldblum's character Grand Ma- Master appeared in? Was it the Avengers Age of Ultron, Thor Ragnarok, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, or Doctor Strange? Okay, so I know he was in Thor Ragnarok because there's this whole extended sequence with him in it, but I'm not sure if he was in... Uh, so not, Yeah, it was Ragnarok because uh, that's the one with... Uh, with the gladiator Hulk, the one that yeah. sort of grades as the planet Hulk, planet Hulk saga. Um, oh man, I'm trying to think. Cause I'm, I'm wondering if he was in that bit with the collector earlier and I, I can't remember. So yeah, I'm going to say probably Ragnarok. Uh, or, no, or no, 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 wait, no, no, maybe dark world. Sorry. What was, what were the options? I, I said the Avengers age of Ultron, Thor Ragnarok, guardians of the galaxy volume two or Dr. Strange. You know, I'm going to change my answer. I'm going to say Age of Ultron. Maybe he was in the little teaser at the end. No. No, it was a teaser at the end of Guardians. He was in the end, he was in the ah. end credits dancing. So it was, it was a kind of a trick question. <laughs> okay. All okay. right. Number two. Back on an old bit of Late Night with Conan O'Brien, Jeff appeared on a segment called Goldblum Secrets. And okay. in the bit, he said, people always ask him, how do you pronounce his name? Is it Goldblum, Goldblum? And his response is... A Goldblum, B hmm. Uh, what is a name? Or C? I always tell them the same thing. How dare you speak to me? <laughs> <sighs> it's a you classic know, bit. Know, I don't know if you ever seen it. I I haven't, but you know the joke answer is obviously B. But I can't imagine him saying anything other than C. It's got to be C. Yes, yes. It's C. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Number three, what is this character's last name in Independence Day? Is it David Levy, David Smith, David Levitson, or David Firenstein? Well, his father, well, not father, sorry, the news, his boss was Harvey Firestein, so it's not Firestein. <laughs> um, I, I just can't remember his last name. Shit. I remember his father. I remember his, I think it was Rosen something, but like David, David. David. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I spent an inordinate amount of time watching that in college. You know, my One of my professors did this. Uh, I went to school for computer engineering and my one of my electronics engineering professors had this project where we basically built a TV on an oscilloscope. So you designed your own circuit to read TV signal. Yeah. And the movie he used was Independence Day. So he just had it on a loop playing over and oh, over, yeah. over again in the electrical engineering lab so everyone could keep working on their, their raster images. So I just grew to memorize the entire movie. <laughs> just had Rosenstein, I guess, is my answer. If that, if that was one of the answers, what was, what was the answers? <laughs> the answers were David, David Levy, David Smith, David Levinson, or David Firestein. Uh, it could be either A or C. I'm going to say Levinson. Yes, yes. Yes, Levinson. Yeah, David. Levinson. All right, number four. In the Grand Bud- Budapest Hotel, what rank was this character, Kovacs? Was it Deputy Kovacs, Lieutenant Kovacs, Sergeant, or Captain? I've never seen this movie. I'm just pulling questions out of my ass. I absolutely love this movie, but it's got such a huge cast. I'm trying to remember. It's kind of hard to pick what what his rank was, but I'm finding questions on IMDb. I'm trying to remember who he was in the movie, because I know that... It was Kovacs. Well, he was Kovacs, but... What's called? Uh, what's his name? Ed Norton was like one of the gendarmes in the movie, and he had a rank. <sighs> captain, I think. I want to say captain. No. It was deputy. Deputy. Ah. All right. And finally, this one isn't a multiple choice question. It's just I want to I want to hear your best Jeff Goldblum impression. Goldblum <laughs> <laughs> impression. Um. So that's the thing. I can only really do the one from, you know, the one everyone knows is like, uh, 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 life finds a way like that. Like that, the dress. That's, hey, that's, that's all you need to do. That's all you needed to do. I mean, I, I remember the, my favorite Jeff Gold movie actually I saw him in was, uh, Faye Grimm. I don't know if you've ever seen those ones. Um, no. it was the sequel to, uh, to Henry fool, which was, um, it's a great movie. Um, it's weird because there was like 20 years between the first one and the second one or a long time. But um, basically the premise, it, it's, uh, it's got, what's his name in it? Who plays uh, Dr. Venture? Um, oh, James something. Maniac. That's it. Yeah. But he, he but he's like this, this, uh, I think he's like this investigator in that movie. And I was just being this odd, like little indie film. I'm like, Oh, it's got these like minor characters. It's got, you know, James Urbaniak and the woman was uh, Parker Posey and just out of nowhere like what the fuck Jeff Goldblum's in this <laughs> but like the, it's a trilogy of movies and the third one hasn't been made yet oh I never, but he, yeah, I've never seen these yeah it's a good film uh, Henry Fool and Faye Grimm were the, the first two and the third one I don't know what the third one's gonna be called but I remember doing like a, this like online questionnaire thing for James Urbaniak and he, I asked him a question about like well when's the third one coming out it was, it was funny because it was all these Dr. Venture questions yeah. and a couple of the office. And it's like, oh, Henry Fool. Yeah, that's like, I love that film series. And I'm like, because I guess everyone else knows him from those things. And that was just this odd, obscure thing that he did like back in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, when did you got the, when did you get the, uh, ask him questions? It was this online web forum thing. I can't remember what the name of the message board was, but basically they mailed him a bunch of questions and, uh, it might have been Reddit, actually, like oh. some sort of Reddit. Oh, like AMA. the IMA or whatever, IMA, whatever. Yeah, ask that thing, thing, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was pretty much a long time ago. I remember asking him, I was like, I loved you in this movie, and I really enjoyed the sequel. When is the third one coming out? And I'm, it's, I'm kicking myself because I can't remember the name of the uh, the the director or the, you know, and the film. It was like a writer-director guy. He did both. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Off the top of my head, I don't know since I didn't see the movies. It, it, it's been like a decade since yeah. I've seen. 
<laughs> Say grim. But all right, that's all. I, that's all I really got, though. And I think we, I think we're yeah, no, it, so yeah. you'll see the pandemics all over coming to a city near you. You know, a lot of Brooklyn, a lot of <laughs> Brooklyn shows out in the Midwest. Yep. So Bro- Brooklyn, Mecha- uh, real quick, Brooklyn, Mechanicsburg, Windote, uh Minneapolis, Milwaukee, Rock Island, and Toledo. And any you know, new music you got coming up or anything? We do actually. Uh, we're working hard on our. I guess it'll be our second full length record. Yeah, you know, that's that's the thing about having like lineup shifts because it's kind of like starting over in some regards. Yeah. Like you know, you've got a bunch of people that you know were used to playing the newer songs, and then you have to teach them teach the new guys the older songs as well. So it's kind of been a weird transition from like. We left things at hard headed back in 2015. We have all these songs that, you know, hadn't been recorded yet. And it's trying to balance those with the new crew. Cause we've written new songs with those guys now. So, you know, we're playing a few new, to- like two or three new songs on this tour that we've never played before. And, you know, hopefully when we get back in the fall, we'll be working on uh, uh, the next record between some other stuff that I'm working on. Um, believe it or not, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm, it's not confirmed yet, but I'm probably going to be subbing with another New York City ska band in uh, September for a couple of weekends here nice. and there. So uh, more news about that when I can officially confirm that, I guess. Yeah, Just, let uh, me know. Watch the web. <laughs> <laughs> the interwebs. All yeah. right, man. Well, thanks for the conversation. It was great. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm glad we finally got to do one of these. Yeah. you're. You've been on my list. I just, yeah, you had some, yeah, you needed something to plug, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I usually have these things go. Yeah. All right, man, you have a good one. All right, you too, Brian. Take care. Yep, bye-bye.